We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 201. For today's episode, we're going to get into some vaulting. This is a discipline that I am so fascinated by. It takes so much athletic ability and so much partnership with your horse, and it's just so unique. And so I have one of the top vaulters on the podcast today. He is part of the U.S. equestrian team. He received um, an FEI senior bronze medal. He's also the founder of his own vaulting club, Shadow Hills, and he has done a lot for the community, both as a Walter as a photographer. He's been a part of some amazing campaigns that really showcases the horse in mainstream fashion. And you may have seen him in a basic magazine, the most beautiful story and photo spread. Oh my gosh, you have to go see it. But for now, let's hear from our guest today, Jeffrey Wilson. Well, I would love to hear about all the stuff you do, but let's kind of rewind and bring it back. I would love to hear about how you first kind of found yourself in the equestrian world. Right. So that's kind of a funny story. I actually uh, originally wanted nothing to do with horses. Um, My first experience with horses was not the most positive one. It was, I believe, a uh, hand-walked kind of pony ride experience, right? Uh, It wasn't exactly ponies, but that's how they marketed it. And anyways, I, I was up on the horse for about five minutes and then the horse kind of freaked out and you know, I came off and hit my head on a, a metal pole. I no believe. way. Yeah. So from that moment on, I was like, never again. I'm not going to be around horses. Like, that's not my thing. But then, you know, life had different plans in mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My my little sister, actually, she uh, has mild cerebral palsy. And as a form of therapy, uh we ended up finding equestrian vaulting, right? So my mom had been looking around for a while for kind of a good fit for her. And uh, we came across this uh, vaulting club at, I think it was like a day in the park type of deal where, you know, there were booths set up everywhere and you could look at the different organizations that worked in like therapeutic industries. And, you know, we came across this one that did therapeutic vaulting. So she uh, ended up going and having her lesson and, I was just a little kid at the time, so I got dragged along. And, uh, you know, they tried to get me up on the horse. I think it was for something like two or three weeks, and I just didn't want to get it up on after her lessons. Uh, But eventually, they managed to get me up on the horse. And, you know, from there, it kind of uh, began. They had some recreational classes, and I started doing those. And, yeah, so that that was pretty much how the uh, intro to vaulting started. And once you were kind of, go, you know, you were um, introduced to it and started doing it a little bit, how did it go from there to realizing like, oh man, like I really like this and, and starting to compete and get to that upper level? Uh, so that's a very long uh, timeline. You know, I, I think especially in the first few years, like I had tried every sport under the sun before vaulting. And to be honest, I wasn't really good at most sports. Like I was 
pretty great at running and that was about it but i really disliked running um so yeah i, I just kind of i think my mom had gotten to a point where she's like well this one has horses and horses are good for people so i'm just gonna keep my son in it and make him stick it out and so for a while uh that's what vaulting was and uh yeah i, I started uh i started competitions i think about a year after i joined and my first you know second competition was a national championships like that year Unfortunately, a, a vaulter had passed at the club that I was at, but his family started a kind of memorial scholarship for for a random vaulter of their choosing that they thought were was going to be most like their son, or that they could see kind of you know the the same kind of potential in. Right. So uh, I ended up being the recipient of that, and I went to my first uh, national championships that year, and that was kind of the first time I got a taste of. Um, really like the competition environment which really changes you know based on where you are whether it's like california or somewhere else in the us or especially overseas it's a lot different um, but that was really the first time and then over the next few years i kind of came into my own and vaulting and, and grew in it a little bit more and i would say maybe after about like five or six years I finally got to a point where I was like, oh, maybe I'll be a little bit more serious about this. And that's when I really started to kind of give a bigger push into becoming like a high level athlete. I mean, was it through mostly your riding program that you had the exposure of vaulting? Like, did you feel like it was hard to figure out how to go to the upper levels of vaulting? Like, was there a was there like a cut and dry process? Um, I feel like sometimes in the industry, it's hard to navigate that to get from, you know, competing and, you know, starting out to figuring out the path that makes sense to get to the top. What was that like for you? That's a very good question. Um, <laughs> and, and you're right. Like it is like that in the industry where there's there, at least, especially in vaulting, where there's not really a clear path up there. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would say maybe more in vaulting. I mean, I don't fully understand uh, the competition process of other uh, equestrian sports, especially just to put that out there. But I would say that I think vaulting is a little bit trickier because of the, um, at least earlier, like in my time, there was, that sounds so weird to say, I don't feel that old. <laughs> you just but, aged yourself. <laughs> yeah, I just aged myself. Um, but in my time coming up, it was like, there wasn't quite uh, the, the resources that we have today. And even today's resources are not what we hope to have later, right? So, I mean, my process was kind of odd, right? Like, uh, I'm not gonna name any names, but it's like the club that I started with was not like at all a high competitive club. And the, the next club that I was a part of after that you know had a much better idea of what being a high competitive athlete was i mean our coach at that time was a previous uh world champion but it still was like i think the process is just different right because i think what happens is a lot of people in uh, vaulting may go through uh a, a championships or through some kind of competition season under someone else who knows what they're doing 
And so then it still may not be the most familiar process at the end of the day for them to then help their athletes moving forward later. And things are always changing. So you might have the proper rules, you know, one year, but the next year, if you don't have the updated rules, then you're not going to have the proper tools to get to the next level. So I guess the ultimate answer I would have for that question is uh, it was quite a challenge, you know, over the course of all of my career, um, especially trying to qualify for my first few championships. I didn't really know what I was doing. Like, I just Mm -hmm. thought if I vault well, then, you know, maybe I'll go. (laughs) And it was sort of one of those, like, I was very motivated off of movies like, you know, the Rocky series or such like that, because vaulting is kind of like interesting. I mean, I'm sure any athlete uh, in any discipline can relate to the uh, struggle of trying to become your best and, and win with that. But I think vaulting is kind of interesting because not only do you have your equestrian partner to to care for and and try and help them to be their best, but you also have yourself in this like gymnastics dance element where you have to be like so smooth and soft on the horse and so in control of your body at the same time. That is if you're going to do the sport properly, which you should. Yeah. So it's, it's just a lot to think about, I think. Um, Definitely. Yeah. Um, What was your gymnastic? Did you have a gymnastics background? Were you training on the, like alongside your vaulting? What did that look like? So for most of my career, I had zero gymnastics experience. I think it was maybe like at one point in my career, I think maybe during 2012, I was like, oh, I'm going to go start taking gymnastics because I I had watched the, uh, was it the the Olympic gymnast in London that year for the Olympics, right? And um, I thought like, oh yeah, this stuff, I could probably do this, like kind of full of myself about it. Um, so I went to go like train that and then realized how hard that was and how much I needed it. And I honestly probably only kept that up for a few months and then just kind of fell back into more of what vaulting required. Cause the gymnastics element is definitely like a very helpful piece to have, but I wouldn't say it's like wholly necessary. Like you need a few elements for sure. A handstand is a great one. Like if you have a good handstand, then you're going to have a lot of good things in vaulting. Like, uh, flexibility is also another good element to have, uh, and just the ability to carry your body through certain positions. But a lot of it is also just working with the horse's momentum. Cause if you can work with the horse's momentum properly, then you really don't need much strength outside of holding proper form in a certain move. Right. What's your process in finding, or like, I guess, figuring out which horse is best for something like vaulting, because I feel like that also plays a big role into the overall success. Finding, you know, like a horse with a smooth canner, it seems like a pretty like even disposition. Like obviously there's like humans flying around, (laughs) going around, you know, on a lunge line. So there, I feel like there's like so many moving parts where finding the right type of horse and, you know, the size of the horse could be so important. So what do you look for? Well, the the temperament and the mindset of the horse is definitely like first and foremost, the most important, because if you have a horse who's uh, more, I guess to use the term bomb proof, right? Like where he doesn't really care about like what's going on around him and is pretty calm in most circumstances, then that's definitely like a key component. Uh, after that, it really kind of depends more on the um, the level. So, you know, say for myself, uh, my perfect kind of horse is going to be 
a horse that's first off well-trained in dressage, like if we're training a horse properly in vaulting, which, you know, we tend to do more at the upper level, but you don't always see at the lower level is the horse is going to be primarily trained in something like dressage. And that's the majority of its training. And then it will go into, you know, the vaulting work on the circle. Mainly it'll be on the circle just for vaulting. Like sometimes you might, you know, have the day where you just bring it out and kind of uh, lunge it in the correct form and such. Mm -hmm. But most of the time it's going to be the dressage work because that's going to be kind of the better, healthier thing to do for the horse. Right. And yeah, so a horse that's well-trained in dressage primarily, I mean, I love warm bloods, especially Dutch warm bloods and uh, Oldenburgs. I seem to have like a good, uh, a good time with. And yeah, I mean, we're, we're looking for a good horse score as well. So a horse that's going to have the proper form and pulsion, you name it, like the, the horse score is about 25% of our score in okay. international competitions. So that's a big deal. Um, and we basically want the horse to have the same kind of posture and ability to carry itself as they would in dressage. So that also is where that training comes in. So what is, what is the rest of your team look like? Um, did you ever get into the riding aspect? I know I've heard of other vaulters who will also ride and, you know, like keep their horse in training and do the dressage component. Um, and I've heard some who just focus on the vaulting. So where, where do you uh, kind of fall into that? And then what does the team kind of look like? Okay. So those are also complex answers in my, my current situation. So let's see the, I'll start with the writing. I actually did not get into writing until about the last uh, three years. Like I'd say it, I started to get into it before the pandemic happened, but then I really got into it more once the pandemic happened, because, you know, when that happened, then we all just had a bunch of time that we didn't know what to do with. Right. So and that's when I started getting into more of the actual mechanics of riding and, and how to work with the horse. And that was definitely an experience because before that, like you do work with the horse and I picked up riding very fast. Thanks to my um, years in vaulting. Like I really knew how to tell what the horse was feeling, but this connected me on a different level of like, okay, now I can do this um, to, to help the horse, you know, achieve what I'm trying to have it achieve. Right. So, so that would be the riding. Uh, Cause that is an interesting thing with vaulting is like a lot of vaulters never even like learn how to ride. I think that everybody knows the mechanics or, or basics of, you know, you can take your horse out on a trail ride, but really doing something more like dressage is like not always in everyone's cards. Cause you might have somebody who trains the horses like that for you. I sort of did that out of necessity because I do uh, run my own club and I had uh, a horse that needed to get trained during that time. And uh, the person I had riding was leaving. So, you know, it just so happened that then I found myself really taking these lessons and understanding the mechanics about it. And I'm happy I did that helped make me a better vaulter. But yeah, so that's the answer to that. The team, I basically work with, I would say like three different teams, right? So the main team that I compete with is actually up in the Woodside area, uh, about an hour south of San Francisco. Um, and that would be called Pacific Coast Vaulters. Um, and that team is comprised of uh, Carolyn Bland is our main coach. She's a several time FEI medalist as a lunger. Um, she's gotten a lot of teams in the U.S. to the uh, world championships and she's medaled many times. And um, 
yeah, she's actually originally from Britain. So she has a lot of great uh, witty humor that she always brings to the table. <laughs> yep. Um, I have a father-in-law like that, so I, I get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you definitely get it there. Yeah, and then I had the rest of the team, like the squad that I competed with is, is what we would call it. And there was uh, Haley Smith, who is uh, actually becoming quite a good dressage writer herself. Her goal is to uh, try and medal in... Um, in a dressage world championships or at the Olympics. I forget which to be honest, but basically her idea is to have a medal in uh, two disciplines because we got one in uh, Budapest this last year in Hungary. Yeah. Um, so, you know, she's halfway there. And then there's Daniel James, who is one of my best friends. Like he's a great vaulter himself individually and did a, what we call a pot to do with Haley. So they did like a routine where it's the two of them on the horse for um about two minutes and um yeah phenomenal vaulter best friend in the whole world and then we had emily rose who um is also a fantastic vaulter i've known her for god like a long time i mean all of these vaulters we've pretty much known each other for a long time before we were on a squad together so i think that's part of why we had a good kind of dynamic when it came to working together but yeah emily's a phenomenal vaulter uh still competing too and then we had our two flyers, uh, Emmy Yang and um, Hannah Wildermuth, and they, you know, were just phenomenal to have as flyers. Like, really gung ho about doing everything uh, that we asked them to do, and uh, you know, for just being thirteen-year-old girls, they're pretty hardcore. So, yeah, that, that's most of our team. And then we have, of course, our horse Diva, who I believe she's like an eighteen. I might have this number wrong, but uh, I think it's eighteen two. Uh, and Oldenburg. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, we brought her to Budapest this last year. So, so that's our main like team of people. And then I have my club down in Los Angeles, where I'm based normally, and that's more of a club that I'm working with my own vaulters. I'm the head coach of, and right now, especially, I have one guy who I hope to take him to his first World Championships this next year. So that's really exciting. And then the last team that I have is um, over in the Netherlands called DeWolf Vaulting. And it's basically a barn that we work out of in uh, Vapsa, like the northeastern corner of the Netherlands. And um, that, that's kind of part of the process of like how we would generally compete overseas is we have like a barn that we would work with. We fly over there. We uh, work on the horses maybe several times a year, and then we go compete on the horse that we've been working with uh, the most. And yeah, that's kind of the process. Okay, so I have a question for you listening because I honestly used to dread having to get prescriptions filled for my animals. Does the idea of having to re-up your prescriptions give you anxiety? I used to be the same way, but then I started shopping at FarmVet. They make it so easy to get my prescriptions filled. All I have to do is order online and they do the rest. On top of making your prescription buying hassle-free, they also have a very knowledgeable staff that I can bounce things off of when I'm questioning a supplement my horse is currently using or considering trying something new. Plus, I love how easy it is to set up and manage auto shipments so I know my horses always have what they need when they need it. Whether you're shopping online or over the phone, which I've also done all the time because it's super quick, you'll get free shipping on all of your orders over $79. 
Thinking about giving them a try? You can use my code MYEQUESTRIANSTYLE to get 10% off your first order. Check out FarmVet at farmvet.com. That's F-A-R-M-V-E-T dot com. Again, that is 10% off your order by using code MYEQUESTRIANSTYLE. Some restrictions do apply, like prescriptions and price-protected brands, so make sure you see store for details. Thank you so much, FarmVet. All right, let's get back to the episode. Obviously, you have a little bit of exposure with dressage and, and that whole discipline. Based on what you know with what it takes to get to the top of vaulting, tell me a little bit about the like financial and the time commitment needed um, to get to that point. Um, I feel like every discipline is kind of a little bit different when it comes to the finances at the top level. Give me a little rundown of what, what vaulting is in that regard. Okay, so... This one is interesting. Um, I guess starting from the bottom and going to the top, uh, most of your career, you're going to be paying a lot of stuff out of pocket by yourself. And that doesn't really stop at the top either. You know, we don't have the kind of funding that, you know, maybe some of the bigger disciplines have, nor the sponsors. And so, I mean, it definitely becomes more expensive as you go up in the the levels. Sure. Uh, but then especially at the top, it's sort of, well, we, we do have this thing called, it's, it's basically we have a vaulting uh, high performance committee and that's composed of, you know, various people who have been in the sport for a long time here in the U S and uh, they have this program that basically gives us, you know, some, kind of grants for certain things uh, if you're qualifying for those scores at the top level. So for instance, we have this vaulting symposium coming up where we work with people from like around the world, all the top clinicians. And for that, like they're paying for the sessions. Um, so that's nice. You know, that definitely helps uh, when you want to get some experience, but yeah. when it comes to competitions, it's, you know, you can apply for some grants, but it's never really as simple as like apply and get it. Um, it's like, you might get that extra funding. But there isn't exactly like a lot of funding in the the sport at the moment. I think that we primarily go off of all donations. Um, and, you know, most people in the world don't even know like what vaulting is. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like, you know, you can imagine that there's not a lot there to, to spare. Sure. Um, I mean, obviously, I feel like from being an equestrian, but not knowing a ton about vaulting looking in, I would think, oh, well, vaulting shouldn't be that expensive because not everyone needs a horse. How, how would you respond to that? Because I'm sure there's other there's a lot of other, um, you know, finances and travel and, and equipment and, and things like that. And then for the club, do you do you all do you kind of cover the cost of the animals and the, the training and and the expenses to cover the horses? How does that work? So I'll answer that question real fast and then get back to the, the other part. Um, the cost and finances of a club generally, the hopefully the club is self-sustaining. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, you charge a, a membership fee every month for the vaulters and at different levels, it's going to be, you know, different amounts. Obviously the top level is going to be the most and then lower level is going to be uh, less than that, maybe like half. And, and those prices generally range between like, it depends on the club, but between uh, like 150, maybe 200 up to like on the higher end, like 450 a month. So, you know, it's, it's not 
like atrocious or awful by any means, especially when you mm-hmm. have access to horses and you don't really have to worry about like outside of practice, take, I mean, taking care of them, I, I guess it really depends on your level of commitment. Cause if you're willing to help out, like, of course the coaches and, and, and people love to to see that and will sure. take you on those offers, but yeah. So, so that's how that goes. Um, so to answer that question, um, vaulting, I guess, in comparison to other equestrian disciplines may not be like the most expensive by any means, but I think it's all relative, right? Because uh, we certainly don't have access, like I said, to those sponsors or to, to you know, people who generally want to help us financially. So a lot of it is your own cash flow that's paying for it. That being said, it certainly is a challenge to be a high level vaulter in the US. So in some countries like, you know, Germany or France, they have everything pretty much paid for. Uh, they have a really good system for it. And they're just, you know, they get to train and do their thing. Like in Germany, you can be a sports soldier where your whole function is basically, you know, be a vaulter and you get paid to do it. Um, so that's, you know, great for them. And that's a reason I think that they're one of the reasons why they're at the top. But, you know, in the U.S., I think that we have a lot of vaulters who could who could potentially meddle more if we had the correct kind of funding, because, for somebody like me, for example, like I'll be pretty transparent about how this last year was for me, like to do the squad that I did to get people together like that in the U S all these really good vaulters is not easy. You know, we have the challenge of just like geographical challenge, right? Like if you want to bring a squad together like that, all of the good vaulters are probably going to be in different locations, you know, not always, but sometimes, And so Hannah, one of our flyers came from Pennsylvania and she would stay for two weeks in Woodside and then fly back for two weeks and then come back for two weeks. And Hmm. um, so, you know, that's a lot of travel for her. Like I live down in Los Angeles and I have my club down here that I coach. So in order to make that work, I had to uh, drive up to Woodside, uh, which was about like a five or six hour drive, depending on the the, day I would drive up. Uh, Saturday evening. Um, and then I would come back down Tuesday evening and I would coach the days I'm in LA and then I'd go back up and I'd train the days and I'm up there. And I did that every week for the last year. Wow. Um, so, you know, that alone is already like a few hundred dollars in gas. Every time you do that, luckily I had some teammates I could stay with when I was up there. Um, but that's kind of just the, the intro to it. And then you have the monthly club fees. So, you know, tack on another $400 for that. And then uh, we're kind of reaching closer to, um, let's see, competitions. Uh, I mean, uh, on average, I would say that vaulting itself probably cost me, and this is all together, like this is food for the training while I'm up there. This is uh, the the gas and the, the car maintenance in this case and the uh, club horse time and everything definitely like a few grand a month, depending on the month and how much I was going up, probably between like 35 to five grand. Mm-hmm. And then, then the competitions themselves can range anywhere from a few hundred to a few thousand. Uh, especially once we go overseas, that becomes really tricky financially because one, you have to pay for the plane ticket. Most of our competitions are during the summer. So the plane ticket's going to be more expensive, usually around like at least a thousand dollars round trip if you're lucky. And then 
when you're over there, you have the housing fees, which there are ways to do that cheap if you're on your own. But if you're staying together as like a team, then um, that's where the price gets kind of like inflated again, because you all want to be in the same location and um, working together. So, uh, you know, that's going to be a few thousand more on those months. And although you may not have the fees of like the travel at home, you did just have the fees of going overseas. So it doesn't really like lower much to do the whole summer overseas last year cost each of us give or take probably around like 35,000 um to do yeah. like two and a half months and so to put that into perspective and and then the point on this basically as a vaulter your time is very limited because not only do you have to care for the horse in a lot of cases and and make sure the horse is getting proper training not only do you have to spend hours in a car you know traveling if mm -hmm. your is in a different location but you also have to worry about your own training as like a high performance athlete like i definitely can only speak for vaulting i don't know how much of this goes into um you know any hunter jumping or, or dressage or um you know you name the sport but there is an element of like if I'm training for a world championships, like every day I'm dedicating hours of my time to, to strength training, to mobility training, to training on our practice, you know, mechanical horse, and then training on the uh, actual horse. And then of course, like, you know, my flexibility training, my mindset training, mm -hmm. because you want to train your mental game, like, and of course, then your diet as well. Um, you know, what am I putting into my body to perform my best um, nutritionally and it's then you got to make sure you also get a good amount of sleep on top of that, even though you don't have time to sleep and then you got to fit in work somewhere in there to yeah. pay for, for the sport. So, um, you know, I think all of us across the board agree. It, the thing that we all need more of is just financial assistance because then we're able to dedicate our time to bring home those medals because yeah, the type of people to bring home the medals at the end of the day for the U S are the people who, uh, they, sacrifice really their entire life outside of vaulting like they don't really have any other life but vaulting and then when you come back home after a championships there's not really um any kind of big like reward for that other than mm -hmm. of course you have the recognition you become like a respected maybe clinician or coach and and you have this uh like people know that you probably know what you're doing for the most part um but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a challenge still. Uh, it really is at this moment in time, something that you have to really love the sport and be like wholly like engulfed in it in totally. order to achieve that. I mean, as with any sport, but especially, you know, I think in vaulting, you have to say, um, you know, I don't know uh, if like my life is going to be comfortable in the next year or two, if I go for world championships this year, because of the amount of time commitment and financial commitment, but it's, it, you just have to be one of those people who wants it bad enough, I think. Definitely. Um, so what do you do, um, that you feel like is keeping you within the equestrian industry, um, in terms of vaulting? Like, obviously I know you have, you're the founder of Shadow Hills Vaulting Club. Um, there are some, I feel like some other fun things that you do that fill up your time. So tell me a little bit about what you're working on lately. Well, hmm, the last year entirely has been pretty much dedicated to I'm um, going to to Budapest with my squad and and getting uh, 
a medal position there, which we did accomplish. So that's yeah. really cool. Um, that, that would be the majority of the work lately. In the, the last few months since getting back, it's been primarily working on my individual routines with uh, this um, several time French world champion named uh, Jacques Ferrari. He's, you know, really, I just totally respect his viewpoint on the sport. He has a mind that kind of doesn't work like others where, you know, it'll come up with these uh, just exercises or drills or ideas that are so outside the box and his way of looking at vaulting is just so um, far beyond most other things you'd encounter in the sport. Uh, So really it's just been that, but in the last uh, two years, um, there was some interesting uh, ventures such as I was working with this uh, one woman, her name's Yulia Bratkovskaya, and she is a a writer now based up in the Woodside area. Uh, But at the time she was down in Los Angeles and we worked on this project with Victoria Pichuda, who owns this international fashion magazine called Basic Magazine and a ballroom and cha-cha dancer named Anastasia. I'm not even going to try and pronounce her last name for the life of me, but (laughs) it's on my social media and you can go check her out. And we went out to uh, the desert and basically filmed this whole like music video for uh, Victoria to make for her magazine and submit to film festivals. And then we did like a several page spread in her magazine as well. And that was all over uh, the world. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. It's stunning. uh, Yeah. That's so cool. I feel like it's neat to, to be recognized as like, you know, when they are looking for someone who can, kind of create that look for them that they thought of you and thought, I mean, it turned out so cool. It's so pretty. And I still see pictures of, of that magazine spread, like still all over social. And it's, it's really cool. And I think it's amazing how mainstream um, lifestyle and fashion spaces um, continue to go back to horses and have that as part of their marketing and even just their overall feel of of their lines and their businesses. And it's cool that we as equestrians can kind of, you know, sometimes be a part of that, like you were able to. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm all for that. I would love to see more of that. You know, I have a a few buddies overseas, um, primarily in France who they work on a lot of uh, projects of similar caliber, but it's, it's very cool. And I would totally be open to, you know, doing those kind of projects again. Definitely. Um, tell me about an area of the industry that you're super passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian community as a whole either just doesn't really talk a lot about or doesn't know that much about. Sure, sure. Well, you know, we we covered the financial aspect of vaulting. So I think that sticking to vaulting, the the thing that I would like to kind of talk about a little bit is how the sport is perceived. I think that I often come across uh, people who if they don't fully understand vaulting, both being equestrians or not equestrians, you you know, you might have had an experience like most people in the U S if they know of vaulting, it's because they probably saw some club doing a performance or demonstration at, you know, some kind of um, like equestrian event somewhere. And it's not always the most positive way of viewing it. I think because the, the thing is, vaulting is in this weird state at the moment again because so much of it is individual driven like a lot of like you have some clubs that really know what they're doing at the upper levels 
But then for every club that you have that knows what they're doing, there's maybe several clubs who are well-intentioned, but don't uh, do the correct, you know, steps for, for the, the horse care or for the vaulters. And so you might see like, you know, a, a group that they might be a little extra hard on their horses, or they might not treat the horse in a fashion that is necessarily like widely acceptable. Like to them, it's, it's one of those cases of, well, this is how they were brought up and this is why it's okay for horses like that. And, you know, they might have some very outdated information about horse care and and they might think like that what they're doing is okay. Cause to them, that's what they've always known being an equestrian to be and, mm-hmm. and horse care to be, but it's not always of course the best image because then when you see them, then you might just think of the whole, like the sport as a whole being not so positive for horses. Whereas like I kind of uh, talked about earlier, you'll have um, at the top level, like most of our horse training is more directed in the dressage fashion. Like all of our uh, vaulters are trained to be very soft on the horse and to not do things that are going to slam on the horse. We have a lot of protective gear for the horse. So, um, you know, we have different pads that can be carbon fiber or felt or a combination. And then you have a gel pad underneath and you know, it, it will take a lot of steps to make sure that the the horse is well cared for because they are our most important teammate. But yeah, I, I think that it's just a matter of like, you know, perception. And, and this is definitely not just limited to vaulting. It's out in the mm-hmm. world in general sure. right now, I think. But it's very important to to understand like all aspects of something and to see, you know, is the version that I witnessed the correct version or is there like a better side to it with people who might be more in line with the correct realm of thinking. And then, you know, understand that it's like, like to be a vaulting club. um, If you're not coming from a place of having been in the sport for a long time or being a high performance athlete in the sport, then you might just be somebody who's like, wow, this seems like I had such a great experience watching this, or I tried it once and I want to start my own club. And then it's sort of like you'll get a lot of these, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term, backyard vaulting clubs where it's like somebody who just wanted to start it. They bought some, you know, old used tack and then they just are like, look, I have my horse on a circle and they're going. And and um, it's it's definitely that's not how we would generally show the sport. And no, right. no offense to anybody listening who is doing that. Like, I am just saying, like, there are some clubs out there who mm-hmm. um, might not always follow the proper steps. Uh, but if you can follow the proper steps, location does not matter. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, what would you say if someone is in that position where they're wanting to start a club or wanting to be a part of one? Where can someone get more information about either of those two, either being a part of a club or starting their own? Is there Are there resources out there to properly start something like that or be a part of something like that? Yeah, absolutely. One widely accessible resource is actually the, uh, the FEI guidelines and rule book. You can download the app on your phone and have all of the information on vaulting just in an app there. So, um, and that's, you know, internationally recognized and regulated. So that's fantastic. That's a great place to start in terms of the, uh, the, the kind of rules and, and things to follow when working with the horses and the athletes. And then also, you know, on our uh, American Vaulting Association website, I think they're updating it right now, but um, there's also some resources on there. And I think one of the best resources is if you know somebody at the upper level, I mean, I'll even be an example of this since you guys are listening to me talk right now, you can just feel free to reach out to them. Like in vaulting, it's not like, um, 
it, it's not like we're some crazy, you know, inaccessible celebrity <laughs> or something like yeah. all of us who, you know, have come this far in vaulting, just do it because we love the sport. And so we're happy to help, like just, you know, uh, get in contact with us and then we're happy to try and assist in any way we can. And, um, you know, if you're also looking to to join a vaulting club, uh, vaultingworld.com has a whole map of vaulting clubs around the world. Not every club is on there, but many are. So that's okay. also a good way, you know. Cool. That's awesome. Well, Jeffrey, thank you so much for taking the time to share and give us some insight about vaulting and, and your career and what you're doing and um, really appreciate it and love following your story. And I wish you all the best. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. And uh really enjoyed talking. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.